It's go time. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble. First down. It's a chilly frozen tundra where we are in Saskatchewan, Canada, and I hope it's a lot better where you are, but we are facing one doozer of a storm coming up tonight, and it has already begun where I am. Welcome everyone, Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. Trust you're safe and cozy as you listen to our podcast. One week of regular season to go here, and we're getting ready for that playoff run. We knew coming into this that there was no way that this season could last long enough. 16 weekends, 14 games. This is the way the East used to play way back in the day. It did provide a lot of interest. And last weekend, had results gone differently, we would have had a lot more on the line this weekend. Still a little bit on the line, but it's all in the East. One of those rare weeks where you get five games starting on Tuesday, working through to Saturday. I've had three of those this year. And we can thank the Elks for providing the extra entertainment value of more Canadian football in one week. That goes back to all their issues in August. Heath, I think you put it the best on the positives. Yeah, it's a it's a positive that you don't really want to think about. And unfortunately, news in Canadian sports again today, the Ottawa Senators in the NHL are looking at postponing three games because of a COVID situation on their team. So we are definitely not out of the woods yet, unfortunately. We're, we're getting very close to two years into this pandemic. And it just shows how fragile these games and these crowds are and how quickly things can change. The CFL has actually been very lucky this year to only have the one incident. When you think of the number of players and the ins and outs and and players being added and moved, they've done very well with their COVID protocols and it's exciting to be able to see them come to fruition and hopefully get all the way through playoffs without any further incidents. One thing that we haven't really discussed since it was first announced is that anybody that's not fully vaccinated especially in the West, is going to have a heck of a time getting to a playoff game. Especially if you're the team representing the West in the Grey Cup, you can't necessarily drive to Hamilton. Be a long drive. If you left when they did and you were driving, my goodness, I don't know what shape you'd be in to play a game after all of that. It would be way easier to just get the shot. Very true. Football on the field. Let's go to it. Hamilton goes into Toronto looking to secure a chance at hosting and finishing first at the same time. A very, very defensive game in the first quarter turns into an Argonaut domination in the second that carries right through to the end of the game. Jeremiah Mazzoli looks very ordinary, and the Tiger Cats are thumped 31-12. Three out of four games between the Argos and the Tiger Cats go the way of the Toronto Argonauts. I found this very surprising because going into the game, I thought this would at least be a very close game. And the way Hamilton had been playing, I kind of thought that Hamilton may actually come up with a win. But certainly Toronto made a statement in this game by, as you said, Don, dominating after the first quarter when things were slow. It just, uh, it was all Argos. Jeremiah Mazzoli seemed to keep going back to the well of trying to force the ball downfield on long, long passing plays and really had very limited success in doing so. I was a bit surprised with how long they stuck with it and how many of those long pass attempts he tried throughout the game. And as a result, he completed only 55% of his passes, 326 yards, but two key interceptions as well. He tried to hit Jalen Acklin several times on deep balls. And one time Acklin went inside when the ball went out. The other times, though, it looked like they just weren't connecting on the pace of the pass. And by that, I mean, if it was with the wind, he was throwing it too far. And if it was against the wind, he wasn't getting it to Acklin. Tommy Condell hasn't been noted as a a riverboat gambler type of offensive coordinator in Hamilton, but... I kind of thought that maybe they were trying to open up the Toronto defense and change things up, knowing that they didn't have Don Jackson in the lineup. The running game may have been impacted prior to kickoff, and so you want to change something in your mode of attack to get the defense thinking about something else. I don't blame them for trying. I just was so surprised that there was just no connection whatsoever. 
it's a situation where he completes you know three or four of those long passes and we're talking about a completely different football game in my opinion they the inability to connect on those long passes really hindered that offense and it gave Toronto a chance to lock things down and pull away in the second half Let's give credit to Toronto's defense, though, because they did play very well. Now, granted, if they'd made some of those passes, it would be a different game. But overall, the defense seems to be gearing up for playoffs. And and it's exciting to see a team do as well as they have. The two different defensive coaches they have have sometimes opposing philosophies, but they certainly seem to be melding this year. You're talking about Chris Jones and Rich Stubler, and I don't think that they're necessarily adversarial. I think they're quite complementary. Stubler likes an approach where his defensive secondary makes the read. He likes them to be intelligent back there. He wants them to think on their own two feet, so he coaches them up to be that way. Jones likes to mix it up. He likes pressure, then he'll back off. He may rush two, he may rush nine. You never know with him. And my point was not that they're adversarial in any means. It's just that they are both used to calling the shots and they've been able to work together so that they can figure it out together. And and their defense is going well because they've been able to come to some kind of equilibrium in terms of how they do coach together. The game was sold out too, which was nice to see. McLeod Bethel Thompson show 26 of 34 for 250 yards, a TD and a pick given that the defense was playing so well that they could do some things they wanted to do, it seemed like if Tim White or Brandon Banks wasn't available, then the, Ar- the Argonauts had the Ticats stymied. They did. I think the receiver that impressed me the most in this game was probably Curly Gittins Jr. from Toronto. He had another solid night. Eight attempts targeted his way in seven receptions. He continues to show that he is a, a bright upcoming receiver in this league and I I think he's got a a very positive future ahead of him as a receiver in the CFL on the other side we saw some special teams woes with Hamilton any of you young listeners out there interested in getting into football practice kicking field goals we learned today Taylor Bertolet has been released by the Tiger Cats after a one for three performance so again I, I don't remember a year where there has been so many moving parts in kicking games in the CFL. I can't remember a year where more than one team would struggle with their kicking game. And we've seen it all over the place this year with the CFL, Winnipeg, Hamilton, British Columbia. Could you argue that maybe the patience was running short because it's only a 14-game schedule and you need to do things now? Maybe. These guys weren't given an opportunity to work through their problems. The teams you've mentioned have all had now at least three place kickers. In Winnipeg's case, they've had four different kickers attempting field goals. So there's a lot of things still to work out and... With the announcement of Bertolet's release today, the Tiger Cats bring in a player that was on Winnipeg's practice roster that they were having as a potential stopgap there. The revolving door continues. Tiger Cats signing Gabriel Ferrero. Now, he had also played for the Saskatchewan Roughriders, and clearly you need field goal kicking in the playoffs. We've seen more than one Grey Cup decided on a last play field goal. And Heath has pointed that out with Winnipeg in particular this year that if it comes down to a field goal, they could be at risk. But now the same can be said for a number of other teams as well. If you remember Rob Vanstone on this podcast from a few weeks ago, he pointed out that Saskatchewan's Brett Lowther has not missed a game-winning field goal yet. If you're on the field with the game on the line, who do you want out there? And that's kind of a confidence boost for the Rough Riders if they're in that situation that they've got Lowther, who has ice in his veins, notwithstanding the weather that we're facing outside right now. Stampeders, the second half of the Friday night doubleheader going to British Columbia. The game is close for the most part, but the Stampeders win each quarter and by the end of it all, win the football game 33-23. to Give credit to the man himself, Bo Levi Mitchell, 20 of 26 for 264 and three touchdowns. His counterpart, Michael Riley, once again, a stellar performance, 30 of 37 for 340 for a touchdown. Four touchdown passes between these two quarterbacks. This game seemed to hinge on four critical elements. The first, the Stampeders were able to score 
a touchdown the first time they touched the ball in each half. Secondly, they took advantage of a too many men on the field on a punt late in the first half that would have given BC the ball. Instead, Calgary gets a first down and kicks a field goal. And then the third thing was the huge fourth quarter punt return touchdown score by Lucky Whitehead that was wiped out by two penalties, one for holding and one for rough play. So instead of the Lions taking the lead at that moment, they were set back up at their own 12-yard line. It was right from the first play where we had a long pass to Bagleton. It seemed the connection was there again. I did not really think that that would be there that quick. Boldy by Mitchell and Reggie Bagleton have played a lot of games together, and it certainly showed they seemed to be on the same page all night long. Michael Riley is showing a little bit of what we have talked about Trevor Harris with his inclinations of putting up lots of passing yards but failing to get the ball into the end zone once they get into the red and the struggles continue for BC. I was a bit surprised by this one. I had picked the BC Lions to get the win at home and they are just in a slide that they don't seem to have any way out of. Bagleton targeted 11 times, catching seven for 119 yards. Unfortunately for him, he got injured on a ball that was caught near the sideline. Luckily for him, the Stampeders playing the Blue Bombers this week in a game that doesn't matter, so he'll get the extra rest, get ready for the semifinal. But a huge, huge pickup by the Stampeders. He slid back into that lineup seamlessly. I was hesitant to look at him in some of the fantasy uh, drafts because of how highly rated he was, but he lived up to it. 119 yards and a touchdown in his debut back with the Calgary Stampeders was a fantastic performance. For the Lions, Dominique Rimes finally broke through. He'd been out of the lineup for a while, but he seems to have now found his place in that offense. Six catches for 111 yards. Javon Katoy, six catches for 70 yards. They led the uh, BC Lions. Their running game finally came into being. James Butler, 11 carries for 89 yards. Riley added another 25. Kadeem Carey had 15 carries for 85 yards, but he did what he needed to do to keep drives alive, and that was huge for the Calgary win. With the awful start that the Calgary Stampeders had, I think we have to give a lot of credit to Dave Dickinson and that team and how they turned things around, and we're actually in a spot where they were battling for a home playoff date. That They've probably had the most impressive run this season, maybe second to Winnipeg's long winning streak, in that with a bad start, they had to get things go in the right direction quickly they figured it out and here we are right in the mix and just came up short of hosting a a playoff game in the west moving to saturday the montreal alouettes and the winnipeg blue bombers met at mcgill in montreal sean mcguire the fantasy points pirate did not impress alouettes winning 28 to 14 Interceptions, the name of the game for Montreal, nabbing four. Eugene Lewis throwing a deep ball to Quan Bray after an interception that really set up the uh, Montreal touchdown. And a brilliant catch by Bray on that ball. To be able to go up and over and, and come down with the ball was very impressive. So, uh, yeah, the, the quarterbacks, Trevor Harris, impressed in this game, 18 for 25 for 144 yards. Three touchdowns. Uh, Sean McGuire, though, uh, we've talked about it all season. If Caleros goes down, we were wondering if Sean McGuire had what it takes. And after watching that one, I'm not sure he does. It was an ugly first career start for Sean McGuire, that's for sure. I'm glad Winnipeg did give him the start. It's They talked a lot on the broadcast about what happened previously with Winnipeg when Kevin Glenn broke his arm in a East Division final. Ryan Dinwiddie now coach of the Argonauts, had to make his first pro- professional start in the Grey Cup. So hopefully Maguire worked out some nerves. We've seen a lot of first starts for quarterbacks this season. Some have been good, some have been bad. And unfortunately for Sean Maguire, he was on the bad side. Four interceptions is not a very good day. I think weather played a little bit of a factor as well. It was a fairly wet day in Montreal. And I don't know if he was fully prepared for those kinds of conditions and he made a lot of mistakes. The Bombers had kind of a dream start to this game with Montreal fumbling the opening kick, 
and his first and successful touchdown drive started on the Alouette's 29-yard line. So a great start, but unfortunately for him, he didn't throw any passes in that touchdown drive. And when he started to throw the ball, the mistakes started to add up. McGuire, 11 of 26 for 149 yards. He did throw a touchdown pass, and he had four interceptions, as we noted. Brady Oliveira had a decent game, seven carries, 27 yards, but he sort of got benched early in the game to protect him. Johnny Augustine got some playing time, but didn't see the ball very much. William Stanback was really stymied, 18 carries for 65 yards. Montreal did what they needed to do to win the game. Their defense just feasted on Maguire every chance they got. And I think that was probably the difference in the game. The Montreal offense at times looked okay, but at times it looked like it was struggling. Winnipeg puts up 217 yards of total offense and the Alouettes 273. That's not exactly stellar stuff, but as Heath mentioned, there was rain pouring down. There were also four pass knockdowns by the Alouettes defense to go with the interceptions. That, of course, keeps their hopes of finishing second alive with the win. It does. That is the last variable that is still undetermined at this point. Is that Eastern semifinal game going to be in Montreal or is it going to be in Hamilton? And we're coming down to the last week to sort all that one out. Final game of the weekend. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders hosting the Edmonton Elks in a very frigid Mosaic Stadium. Coldest day of the year for a football game in the 2021 season. The Rough Riders hold on and defeat the Elks. 29-24, in a game that didn't shy away from controversy. The pass interference call late in the game against Jonathan Rose that kept a Rough Rider drive alive. Rose had put his arm on Schaefer Baker's back. But whether or not that was an impact or did they touch feet, it was hard to tell. The receiver goes down it's announced that it's going the other way because of pass interference. Yeah, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were potentially lucky on that one if there was no contact. It was hard to tell if there was contact, but certainly in the views we saw, on, it seemed minimal at best. That was a turning point in the game. That would have given Edmonton a chance to move downfield and go for a win with a field goal. And uh, Saskatchewan eked out an opportunity to continue with the ball because of the call. They also milked the clock at the same time and... Edmonton did not see the football again until 33 seconds to go in the game to mount a comeback. You never like to see a referee determine the outcome of a game. And I don't know necessarily that they determined the outcome in this one, but they did, with that possible missed call, take away the opportunity for Edmonton to rally a comeback. Well, the other thing unsaid here is if the coach hadn't used a challenge earlier, he would have had the opportunity to challenge here. And sometimes that we see coaches take a challenge early in the game which maybe isn't the best call when it comes down to a play like this at the end. That's very true, Pat, and maybe that's something we get into when we have some rules discussions in the offseason with what we'd like to see happen in the CFL because the, the, the challenge, we've seen some coaches be very unsuccess, unsuccessful with their challenges this year, and maybe the league needs to look at that and help them out a little bit. It's unfortunate. It's kind of a succeed and you, and you pass, fail and you get no more system. And it makes it very difficult for teams sometimes to throw the challenge flag. It's something we need to discuss in the off season because there needs to be alterations to the rule. The booth gets involved. And when we think back to that Montreal-Winnipeg game, we're on our second down play. The Alouette's quarterback appears to get close to the first down. And then the booth says, no, he actually stepped back and the ball should be placed back another yard. Now, is it is it a call from the field to get help or is it the booth itself saying, hey, we saw this, fix it? Well, when does the booth get involved in plays like that? And this is the thing that I think is so confusing is the booth's participation at times seems very arbitrary. It's tough to weigh in and actually call uh, a play when it's interference and it's that judgment call by the referee um, for pass interference. But there was actually a second play in this game where the same type of thing happened. The booth had come down and changed the spot 
And then it looked like Saskatchewan, who moved into their big set, if you will, to go for a short gain, uh, was able to make a late substitution. They had to then explain it on the other side as to why the substitution was going, because certainly Jamie Elizondo was not happy with that call at that time. And it is because the booth changed the spot of the ball. And once that spot is changed, then each side is allowed to make substitutions based on the change. At times, Jamie Elizondo was on the field more than some of the players. Taylor Cornelius, 20 of 30, 224 yards, three touchdowns, and one egregious interception at the end of the game when he forced the ball down the field when he didn't need to, and Jacob Dearborn intercepted it right at the end. Cody Fajardo, 23 of 32 for 245, three TDs, and an interception himself. A rarity in Saskatchewan, a fumble that was lost. Only the third time this season that the Rough Riders have lost a fumble in a game. Could have been devastating. Didn't prove to be devastating because the Riders did manage to to come back. And Jamal Morrow redeemed himself with a long kick return of 82 yards to set up the Riders' first score. That was a a great turnaround play because at that point, it seemed it could have taken the sails out of Saskatchewan. And for Morrow to make that longest return, I think, of the year, that it allowed the Saskatchewan to get some momentum back and continue rolling in the game. The Edmonton Elks just haven't seemed to have the breaks go their way. The last few weeks, they have played teams very tough and given everything that they've had. They've got a really tough stretch coming up here over the next week, and it's going to be a real challenge for them to get one more win this season. But... I have to give credit to the players. Uh, they have been playing hard and and really working things out there. And unfortunately for them, that's, it's just not going their way. Walter Fletcher seems to be a real bright spot. With James Wilder Jr. not available, Fletcher has taken over at running back. 20 carries, 88 yards for the Elks. William Powell for the Rough Riders, 14 carries for 59 yards. A couple of big runs that he got that really helped out. Dekeel Williams or Duke, Eight receptions for 146 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Tolliver on the other side for the Elks. Five receptions, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. This is the game we've been waiting for from Duke Williams. We know that he can be a, a long threat. Um, and for him to be targeted 12 times, come down with eight receptions, it, that was a game changer. It seems like Cody Fajardo has a receiver that he can go to because Shaq Evans, for whatever reason, since he's come back from injury, just hasn't been able to put together the big game. He's been targeted a fair amount, but they're often those short passes. Shaq Evans has shown a lot of frustration since his comeback about the types of balls that he's been seeing or the routes that he's been asked to run or something because he doesn't seem to be the same player that we saw prior to the injury against Hamilton. Is it because Williams has now taken his spot, as it were, as the deep threat? Although Kyron Moore and him kind of shared that before. Tough one to, to figure out. Yeah, we've seen Jack Evans a couple times this season get frustrated and, and almost look at individual stats over that of the team. He has stepped forward and he said the right things, but his coach actually called him out in the radio show after saying that he needs to do some maturing and make some different choices. Second down. Before we get to this week's games, we've got a little matter of the plight of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. If you listened to our last podcast, you heard me fumble and stumble trying to sort out all the permutations and that lay before each team trying to get into the playoffs. Hamilton can finish second if Montreal loses Friday to Ottawa. Montreal ties Friday and Hamilton wins or ties Saturday. Montreal wins Friday, Hamilton must win Saturday. Hamilton has the seasonal series against Montreal. Though they split the two games, the Tiger Cats outscored the Alouettes by 14 points in those two games, and that's the second tiebreaker if they are even in the standings. With that in mind, let's talk about the Edmonton Elks. From leaving Edmonton to getting to Vancouver, they are going to travel 10,376 kilometers to finish the final week of this season, all thanks to COVID protocol violations in August. The Elks start part two of that trip in Toronto. Edmonton is a plus four and the over-under is 46.5. These odds are powered by Bet Regal, and we thank them again. 
we're doing our show on a Monday, which is a rare thing for us. Edmonton at plus four. We know that the Argonauts are going to rest eight starters, including their kicker. I know I had talked a lot about Edmonton and how tough the schedule was going to be for them. Here they are coming after playing on Saturday to playing a Tuesday game, but it's only one extra day for the Toronto Argonauts. So it's not as big of an issue going into this game as perhaps their last game of the season. With Toronto resting as many starters as they are, we see Antonio Pipkin getting the nod as a starting quarterback. This might be a a situation similar to Winnipeg in Montreal last week, where a team with nothing to play for really looks at protecting their team to get ready for the playoffs. And it's an opportunity where Edmonton may sneak out the win. I don't think there's any way this game's getting to 46 and a half points. So I'm definitely taking the under. I'm just not quite sure which team I'm picking to win. So I'll listen to you guys discuss for a little bit before I come up with my conclusion on that one. Absolutely agree with the under. In this case, when Toronto's resting eight starters, I think Edmonton has played very well in the last few weeks. When you go back to Saskatchewan, back to Montreal, they've done very well. And I think this is going to be the opportunity for the Eskimos to show what they've got and hopefully secure a roster spot for next year. So for the players that are going to be playing, I think they've got a bit more to play for potentially. And I do think Edmonton is going to come away with this one. I'm not sure they'll cover the spread. The game they just played against Saskatchewan was a real heartbreaker for the Elks. It was a very physical game. They are hurting. I know they have an expanded roster so they can bring some people into play, but that doesn't mean that that's starters to finish this season. This is the thing that we were talking about when this all got announced. It was one thing to play the first game, but the next two were going to be the real tough ones. The first one, they have to fly to Toronto. They, they haven't practiced. Their schedules are all out of whack. I don't know how. And sometimes when your back's up against the wall, it gives an opportunity to come out. You mentioned that this is uh, it's going to be extremely difficult, but this is like old-time football. When you take a look at uh, Edmonton playing three road games in seven days, the last time this was done was back in 1941 when Winnipeg traveled to Regina and then out to Vancouver for a doubleheader. And, uh, you know, if we go into the 50s, we had a number of teams that played uh, three times in eight days. That was fairly common in that time. So it's not that it can't be done. It's going to take a physical toll. But if of the three games, I think this is the game that Edmonton potentially has a, a good chance to come away with rather than the last one where I think they will be absolutely exhausted. One thing that has me leaning Toronto in this game is we have seen the Winnipeg Blue Bombers go 7-0 and at home this season. The Toronto Argonauts have an opportunity to match them with a 7-0 home record tomorrow night as well. So I believe that does leave something for Toronto to play for. We are seeing that Dinwiddie, Coach Dinwiddie is resting a lot of his starters, so he is more concerned with protecting them for the playoff run than he is protecting that home record. But the Argonauts that are in the lineup tomorrow night are going to be playing as hard as they possibly can to secure that perfect home record. The other thing that those Argos that are playing will be motivated to do is play well so they can maybe be in the East Final. Last time Toronto went undefeated at home, 1997, a gentleman named Doug Flutie was their quarterback. 15-3 record that year. Toronto has an interesting distinction. We were just talking about this off-air. They are minus three in in terms of four and against with a 9-4 record. There's only one way you do that. You lose big and you win small. If they finish at 9-5 and five and still win the East, we know that they're not going to be on the plus side of the for and against. Curious stat. I'm leaning towards Toronto at home. Antonio Pipkin is a seasoned quarterback. The Elks, this is just a grind, and they just don't get any chance to heal those aches. I can't, unless Toronto... Literally, just says, save it for the East Final. We're not going to go out at all and play hard today. I think Toronto wins this football game. On Friday, Ottawa goes to Montreal to play the Alouettes. This game has significance. The Alouettes have to win to have a shot at second place. Ottawa is plus 14 
if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the biggest difference that we've seen all year or tied for it. Over under 45. Don't know if it's going to rain in Montreal on Friday night. Hope not. It's been a lot of rain in the East. I firmly believe that how Montreal looked in the last couple of games against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and back at home with a chance to put that pressure on Hamilton. Montreal's going to come out strong in this one. 14 points is a pretty big spread, so I'm going to say that they don't quite cover that, but the game is going to go over the 45 points. There's a lot of Ottawa players with a lot to prove as well, so I think some of that offense steps up a little bit for the Red Blacks. You've got the best kick returner in the game right now in Devontae Dedman with Ottawa, so a couple of big returns from him and anything can happen, but I'm taking Montreal for the win. I have to agree, Heath. I think Montreal is going to be able to take this game. I guess the biggest question mark for me is who's going to be Ottawa's quarterback? We saw Duck Hodges struggle in his last game terrifically, and, and I'm not sure if he's in there. I think 14 might be a spread that could be easily covered, but we'll have to see. We've discussed it on this podcast, whether Caleb Evans or Taylor Canales should be a starting quarterback for either of their teams. I think both have proven that they should be. Caleb Evans, that if you invest in him over the winter, that he will be the guy to lead that team. And I think he's got enough wherewithal, not only with his skill set, but also with his leadership skills to carry that team to start the season. I agree 100% with you, Don. I think he's earned the opportunity to be the starter. Uh, if they go with Duck Hodges again, I'm not sure why. Is it getting another look at him? Maybe give him another chance, see if it was a one-off. But uh, certainly Caleb Evans has shown more than Duck Hodges at this point in time and is deserved of the start. I would agree with that. I think the upside to Caleb Evans right now is higher than what we've seen from Duck Hodges. So if you're going to invest your time in a quarterback, and I, I've said it before, Caleb Evans has that mobility and that ability to roll out and throw on the run that can bring a lot of excitement to that Red Blacks team. And I don't see the same characteristics out of Hodges. The only caveat I might give here is that Hodges hasn't had an opportunity to sit as a backup role for a number of years. When we take a look at someone like Vernon Adams, who did that for a few years before having the opportunity to play, he was able to learn the nuances of the game. And Devlin Hodges hasn't had that opportunity yet. So if you're going to start him again, maybe you're looking... There might be an opportunity to bring him back and find out, does he have some of the skills? Is he learning? Is he growing? It might give them an opportunity there. So who knows? We could see both quarterbacks starting or play in this game. Friday night, the second part of the doubleheader. Edmonton is plus 4.5, which to me is amazing. Nathan Rourke will be the starting quarterback for the British Columbia Lions. Mike Riley, Michael Riley finally getting some rest for that ailing elbow. Riley has done everything possible to get that team into the playoffs, no way can you point the finger at him. I think he's earned every penny. This is a game that is one of those, does anybody really have anything to play for? But it's also a resume game if you want to look at it from that perspective. So an exhausted Edmonton Elks team is going to roll into BC against a very well-rested BC Lions team. I'm curious to see what Nathan Rourke brings as a starting quarterback. We know he kind of got thrust into the starting position at the start of the season with some question marks surrounding Michael Riley's health. Now he's getting that full week of being named the starter to get himself prepared mentally and physically for this one. We know he's got a talented receiving core around him. The running game has been a little bit better in the last couple weeks as well. So this one potentially could be the coming out party for Nathan Rourke. I agree. Seeing a national Nathan Rourke have an opportunity to get in the game and he's had an opportunity to also watch one of the better quarterbacks in CFL play through the year and learn from him as opposed to when he started at the beginning of the year and just was forced out there. So I think we're going to have an opportunity to see a different Michael Rourke. I think playing against Edmonton at this time, he's going to have a good opportunity to be successful, particularly since they're at the back end of their three. I think BC should win this game. I don't know if they're going to meet 48 points, but I think BC should be able to cover this as well. Edmonton will probably will be running on fumes, and that's before the kickoff. Going from Toronto, which is an Eastern time zone, all the way to the Pacific time zone, again, your bio clocks get all messed up again, and 
you've got a BC Lion team that's looking to prove that their record, that they are actually better than what they've shown. They're on a huge losing skid themselves, seven straight games. They want to change that before they head to the offseason. I think one of the biggest factors that you alluded to, Don, is the fact that they're traveling from Toronto to BC. It's a late later start there because it's the second game of the Friday night doubleheader. So the drastic change in time zones has to throw the Edmonton Elks for a loop in this one. I don't see how quickly they can recover from playing an Eastern time zone tomorrow night to all of a sudden resetting and playing a late game on Friday in BC. Where where have the Elks had a chance to practice and where will they practice in any of this? I don't think you can. So if you're bringing players off the practice roster, what opportunity have they had to fit in with the starters? You're right. Wednesday is going to be the travel day, right? And Unless they happen to fly out after the game in Toronto. But even at that, they're going to be dog tired on Wednesday. So you may get some sort of walkthrough possibly on Thursday, but it's going to be a pretty low tempo and low intensity practice. That's a very good question. Bringing new players back into the roster, how do you work them in and get them up to speed? I, I think it's virtually impossible. So you're saying this is not the game we're going to see Nick Arbuckle start? That's definitely a possibility. If you're Jamie Elizondo, you probably want to, if you do want to see what Nick Arbuckle is going to provide for you, you you got to put him in against BC. Final games of the season are Saturday. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are in Hamilton to take on the Tiger Cats. The Saskatchewan, who have won second place in the West and have that home date secure, are plus 3.5 in an over-under game of 42 against the Tiger Cats. Depending on what happens on Friday night, the Tiger Cats will have everything to play for or nothing to play for. That makes it really tough to make a, a pick at this point because... The unknown, you're absolutely right. Saskatchewan's already locked up their home playoff date. They can't move up or down in the standings. Hamilton is the only one that can, and it all depends on what happens between Ottawa and Montreal to determine what kind of lineup and what kind of game we're going to see out of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Does Jeremiah Mazzoli start? Do they look at Dane Evans? Jeremiah Mazzoli had a couple of really strong weeks, and then he's had a couple of kind of mediocre weeks so it'll be interesting to see what Orlando Steinhauer has up his sleeve and what he wants to see does he want to get Mazzoli back into the rhythm that has kind of slipped away from him over the last couple of weeks or does he look at Dane Evans as somebody to come in and spark the team a little bit I don't know which way that they are leaning at this point and it's another game much like the Ottawa Red Blacks where we might see a couple of quarters out of each of these quarterbacks. I think a best case scenario in this game for Hamilton is if Montreal does win and they've got everything to play for, because I think you do want to get your quarterback in. And it seems to me they've chosen Mazzoli as their quarterback of note. If Montreal wins and Hamilton has to go with their A game, I think that's the best situation in that you'll see a performance that's going to get them ready for the playoffs. They can't diddle around and play games with Mazzoli if Mazzoli is not getting the job done for them. They have to be prepared to make the move because the win matters in this case, most likely. It doesn't. And for me, that's why I'd start Mazzoli and see what he's doing. And then if you need to bring Dane Evans in to spell him off and Dane Evans happens to play very well, then I think you've got an opportunity to move him in the playoffs. You go the other way, Dane Evans lights it up against the Saskatchewan group that's probably going to have a number of people sitting out. Now you're at, okay, who are we starting? Is it Dane Evans, who came up against a B-grade Saskatchewan team, or are you going back to Mazzoli, who struggled in his last start? How can you ignore what Dane Evans did in 2019? 15-3 and a Grey Cup appearance, that's pretty good. It is, and with the inconsistency that we've seen out of Mazzoli lately, maybe he is the guy. It's going to be really interesting to see who they bring, and I really do hope that Montreal wins so we can get an idea of who they're looking to go with in the playoffs because otherwise I think it's a pick em. The final game of the weekend is Winnipeg in Calgary. The Blue Bombers are minus 4.0 on the road. Winnipeg traditionally has done well in Calgary on the final weekend of the season. 
the over-under in this football game is 41.5, and that's going to be a lot to do with the weather. In Calgary, if you get a Chinook, warm spell, warm winds, it'll be a great day for football. But if you don't, you're at a higher elevation. It could be a lot colder. It could really impact, and people like Kadeem Carey and Brady Oliveira may be the stars of the show. Again, this is a, a tough one to pick. It's a really challenging final week of the season because of who has something left to play for, who doesn't. If I look at it from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers' perspective, they rested Zach Caleros last week. They have the first round by, so the, he is resting again next week. How long do you want to give him time off versus how long do you want to keep him in game shape? Now, we know in 2019 he had about 14 weeks off between starts, came in and went 4-0 as a starter. So he is capable capable of doing that, and he's already got that comfort level with the team. I think we do see Zach Kolaris in this game, as well as a lot of the starters that rested last week, because it's an opportunity to have one final look before they get to that West, uh, West final game, and they want to make sure that they're firing on all cylinders. Calgary, again, is in the the same boat in that they don't have anything to play for as far as moving up or down in the standings. But being at home and getting ready for a Western playoff game, I believe they keep a lot more of their starters in the lineup in this one. Jake Mayer, I would think, is going to be the starting quarterback against Winnipeg. Calgary is probably more motivated because they want confidence going into the game against Saskatchewan. They've played well down the stretch, as has Winnipeg. Question that I have for the Blue Bombers, and if you're Mike O'Shea, but heaven forbid you put out Zach Kolaris for one quarter, and in that quarter he gets lit up. Then what? The fall-off between him and Maguire is quite significant right now. That's a very valid point. You're going from a player who's probably a front-runner for MOP this season to a guy that has had one start and com- completed about 42% of his passes. So the drop-off is uh, is staggering at this point, unless the Bombers can start a lot of offensive drives inside Calgary's five-yard line. I don't know if Sean McGuire brings much to the table as far as leading that team to victory. You ask a good question, Don, as to whether Coach O'Shea is going to bring those starters in or not. And I think that in this game, they, they almost have to. You had a subpar game. They didn't play extremely well against uh, Montreal. This case, this week, they have to make sure that they come out and get a bit of a rhythm going so that they can get ready. I don't think you're going to see Caleros and the starters play more than a full half, but I do think they're going to come out and come out strong with the vast majority of their starters unless there's someone still nicked up that needs to take a break. And if they're up or if they're able to get on top, then I think you'll see them start to sit some of their starters and uh, that would give Calgary, I think, an option to pull it out at the end. In this case, I don't think I'd be as worried as long as your starters come on and get into a bit of a rhythm and build some momentum for the playoffs in two weeks. But that's the thing. The Bombers do not play again for two weeks. This is always the problem for teams that get out to a huge lead in the standings and then try to sail through to the end. They always are faced with this problem of, who do we start? Who do we rest for? How long? Is, does it matter that it could be two, three weeks before they play another game or not? In Claris's case, it could be a total of four before he steps on the field again. Is it a problem? Is it not? If I'm Winnipeg, I'd be leaning to leave Claris at home. Don't even dress him. Don't even have the temptation. Just keep him at home. And He got beat up against Montreal the last time they played in Winnipeg. He was hurting coming off the field. Let them heal up and be ready for that West Final because whoever comes to town is going to be hungry. Very true. And Calgary does have a great defense. So it may be Mike O'Shea's choice to leave people at home. The question will always come if they struggle once they get to the playoffs. Is that the right thing to do? And I don't think there's a, an answer here. I think this is a, what does the coach feels best in talking to the players? What do they want? And that decision, I think, needs to be jointly made between the coaches, the players, and what they feel is going to give them the best option as they take a two-week break prior to the Western Final. A couple a couple things that kind of still play into this equation when you talk about players and injuries. 
we know Andrew Harris isn't going to play in this one. The Bombers are hoping that he is back in time for the playoff games. So I believe that they really need to have a look at the running game as well. If Andrew Harris isn't ready to go, they need to make sure that Brady Oliveira gets back on track. He didn't have a great performance in Montreal last week, so it's time to get him going. We saw Jackson Jeffcoat rest last week. He's had a couple of nagging injuries throughout the year. He's had a chance to bring him back into the lineup and give Willie Jefferson an extra week to rest up as well. So those are a couple of things that I'm watching out for in this one. And the, the Bombers have set them up so well, set themselves up so well with that strong regular season that it's a luxury for them to be able to kind of figure out who sits and who plays. Bonus of being first, right? Just have to play the one game to get to the Grey Cup. Taking a look at our podcast pool tracker this week, Dini13 has leapt back into the lead with 101 points. We actually have only four points separating first through fifth place. So these tough games to pick this week are going to determine who our regular season winner is. And there's five people that are writing it at this point. Third down. Now looking at fantasy picks this week, we are recording on Monday, so... The numbers are not available for the Friday-Saturday games at this point. And realistically, it's going to be a really tough week to pick. So uh, with that in mind, I think maybe we just kind of toss some names out there as far as who we think might have big weeks. Again, we don't have any opportunity to assign value to them. So, um, you know, let's have a look and, and try to speculate who might have a big week coming up. Quarterback, you can look at three different people possibly you can look at trevor harris in montreal you can look at nathan rourke in british columbia and if he starts jeremiah mazzoli in hamilton and that's the if game isn't it like that you have to make the decision beforehand without knowing whether or not that game matters so i think it might be safer to take one of the other two quarterbacks this week but again trevor harris if is Montreal going to give him the start and the whole game, or are they going to bring him in for part of the game and then maybe pull him back out the rest of the way? Or do you look at Jake Mayer in Calgary as maybe somebody that's going to get a look to play the entire game so that they can rest Bo Levi Mitchell? Potentially even Isaac Harker. I mean, there are some other quarterbacks out there, and somebody's going to make the right pick and get lucky. It's just getting the right guy. If Isaac... If Isaac, if, if Isaac Harker is playing against a highly motivated Hamilton team, I don't put much stock in Isaac Harker coming out with a big game. If I'm going to take a flyer this week, depending on how the numbers shake out, but again, it's the Tuesday game. It doesn't really count for anything else, but I'm curious to see how Antonio Pipkin does. If I decide to throw some money at the game tomorrow night, I'm probably going to take him as my quarterback over anybody that Edmonton's going to bring to the table. How about running backs? Running back... And again, does he play? Does he not? But Walter Fletcher from the Elks on Friday night against the Lions. And maybe if Don Jackson is playing for the Tiger Cats against Saskatchewan. I'm leaning towards Brady Oliveira from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I think that they will try to establish that running game. Again, we don't know there whether it's going to be Calaris or Sean McGuire at the helm. But I believe that they want to make sure that that running game is up to speed here uh, and they've got somebody ready to go if Andrew Harris cannot go in the Western final. If you want to spend big dollars, there's always William Stanbeck, and this game matters. So, I mean, how much of the game will he play if they can get up by a lot would be the concern there. And then we move to our two receivers that DraftKings allows us. It's it's all over the map. I'm I'm Again, I look at that Montreal game against Ottawa, and I look at Eugene Levy... And maybe Jake Wineke. Eugene Lewis. Oh, Eugene Levy, yes. The comedian, of course, he's going to play. <laughs> he's, 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 he's too. <laughs> well, he might. You never know. He could re-script the game. <laughs> Eugene Lewis. Yeah, I think I think those guys, again, are big money, right? If I'm picking this week, I'm probably taking some guys that maybe aren't as, as high up there, like a Katoy or... Um, picking up White from Hamilton. Some other guys who might be cheaper that may see the ball a lot. Tim White and Javon Katoy, not bad in terms of mid-range pricing. 
if we're not spending any money on quarterbacks this week, which it looks like we might not be, maybe this is a game with Nathan Rourke at the helm that Brian Burnham becomes the go-to guy for him. We know BC and Edmonton aren't playing for a playoff spot in that game. So it's a pride game. And you might look at some of those BC Lions receivers as somebody that's got something to prove. But does Brian Burnham even see the field? He's been bothered by a leg injury. And then you saw a receiver like Tolliver have a great week last week. Is he going to be one that might be a good pick again as a bit of a value pick, but opportunity to see a number of balls? And then on, on defense, again, you have to look at Montreal because going into that game Friday night, they're the one currently that has something to play for. And I believe that they are going to have the best defensive numbers. But again, there's a lot of other variables that come into play. And if you've got a game where the quarterback's you know, if somebody like Sean McGuire starts that game against Calgary, do you take Calgary's defense hoping that he's going to struggle again? It's going to be hard to make picks. If you're Montreal, though, Devlin Hodges, if he's quarterbacking the uh, Red Blacks, isn't that a stats night? It very well could be. One would think so, given the recent history. Yeah, this is not an easy week to make picks on all of these. Um, it's honestly throwing your money in fantasy at who you believe might give you a chance. And I think it truly is just getting lucky and getting that player who pulls out a 25-point week. This may be the first week that I don't come anywhere near spending my cap. Yeah, a lot of those receivers that are in that four to 5,500 range might see a lot of balls coming their way this week. It's that one thing that you're going to be looking at after you pick all your seven players. You're going to look at the bottom and it says remaining salary. It may be more than what you've actually spent. <laughs> Final thoughts. On- well, the, on- the only games that, that really matter are the Montreal and Ottawa game. And I think that one's going to be one that I, everyone should be glued to on Friday night because that's going to be interesting. And it will set the stage again for that Saturday game. If Montreal does get the win... Hamilton is going to have a lot to play for and those are the two interesting games that stand out for me. I'm just happy that we got to the point where we're looking at that last game of the season. There was so many question marks through 2020 and into 2021 as to what the season was going to look like, what was going to happen and despite a little bit of a speed bump in Edmonton, it's been a successful product on the field. Hats off to the league and to everybody involved for getting this together, for getting fans back into the buildings, for keeping the players safe, and getting us some football to watch. Conspicuous by his absence has been Commissioner Randy Ambrosi. And that tells me that things have been going very well, that Ambrosi hasn't had to face the media to answer any questions about anything going on with the league. The ownership came together. The Players Association came together. They made 2021 work in spite of all the odds against them. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio worth watching.